0: Good to see all of you here. Did you have a nice Christmas? A few of you did. <laughs> well, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 5, we'll read that in its entirety and then we're going to try to meld a couple of different themes together, uh, one which fits our season, of which uh, amazingly the tie together from Daniel uh, is pretty amazing. Um, Daniel chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines, drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me an the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then came in all of the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel? which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry. I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the reading, and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, whom he would keep, who, I'm sorry, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. He was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all of this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. This is the writing... Which was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin." This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Farsin, our Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, he being about three score and two years old. May God add a special blessing in the reading of his word, and let us pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, thank you for your word. We especially thank you for your servant Daniel. And his influence that literally has touched lives even today. As we are able to read the truth that you gave to him as he put it in writing. For us to be able to have the opportunity to partake of it today. Thank you, Father, for his life in a very tumultuous time. A time in which he no doubt felt alone most of the time. And yet, Father, you worked in him, through him. And many things were accomplished by yourself because of him. Now, Father, we would ask that these moments that we entrust to you, asking you to bless us, to keep us, to encourage us, to lift us up. And, Father, as we focus on you, we know that that prayer will be answered. We thank you for all of those that have come out today. We ask that you'd especially bless them and their families. And, Father, those that were not able to make it today, for whatever reason, we would ask that you'd put your arms around them, lift them up, Hold them close, that they may feel the love of a God that cares. And Father, now we look to you to guide and direct us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he and he alone would be our teacher today, and that we would be receptive to these words of truth. And as you change us from within, that you may be glorified and honored. Now we'll thank you for what you'll accomplish, and we'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Daniel chapter 5, between Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's about 23 years that have taken place. 23 years. Uh, It's interesting, as we left chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago, I guess last week we we, uh, endured, we talked about, you guys endured, I talked about the senses of six ways to miss Christmas, and as we unfolded that, it was uh, just a little bit of a breakaway. But Daniel... Chapter 5, it opens up with a new guy, a new player, a new king by the name of Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar, we found that the last couple of verses in chapter 4, that he literally found God. Or God found him, or however you want to say it. They got together, which is a great way for us to be. If if you don't have God, you need to get together. And all of a sudden, out of the blue in chapter 5, verse 1... Here we have this man named Belshazzar. As I've already mentioned, there's about uh, 23 years that have taken place between uh, these two chapters. But before we even dig into that, um, there's something that's happened during this season of which we're currently celebrating. That is the time of Christmas, the coming of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, which is, isn't that fantastic to actually have God living amongst us? unbelievable and today he lives within us think of that jesus christ lives within you if you've accepted him as lord and savior that's an amazing concept that is hard for me to even grasp in the old testament the holy spirit would come and go but today you have the blessing of jesus christ and the holy spirit living within you yeah amen we're done (laughs) if we can handle that that's enough right it's crazy but there's something that actually ties in with Daniel, which is hundreds of years before. You know, we know that Daniel came to the Nebuchadnezzar's uh, kingdom uh, by force in 605 BC, and uh, Jesus Christ was born somewhere probably between, uh, I'm going to say, five and six BC. So in that time frame, which is a long time by the way, that's 600 years. Uh, we know that Isaiah prophesied 100 years before that in things regarding around the Messiah. Things that today are amazing to me as I look back and, and 700 years in these, these prophecies that are spoken about Messiah Christos, the anointed one, the one that God had talked about bringing even back in Genesis chapter 3, the one that would come from the seed of the woman that literally would change all of earth, all of mankind for eternity. And to think of what Isaiah said and to see those things fulfilled and even Micah, that little town of Bethlehem. And it's interesting, they didn't live there. They came there at just the right night <laughs> and then they say there's no god that's enough for me right there that's amazing isn't it to endure that that journey which uh, we talked about even on christmas eve but there's a part that sometimes we we it's almost like an afterthought it's like a little cherry on top and uh, is there a nativity yeah there is and and lo and behold if we were to look at this we would probably find three kings right there's a song we three kings of orient are um in every nativity set you will find that the kings, the wise men, I'm going to call them the magi. That's probably the most proper term, M-A-G-I. The magi are there, but they weren't. It's likely there was not three. There was three gifts, not three men. They also came later. Uh, In fact, if it's okay, let's kind of just indulge ourselves because you're saying, what does this have to do with Daniel? Well, I'm going to go ahead and break the ice. Um, quite honestly, let's look at a couple of verses uh, where Daniel is described as being, well, let's first of all, <laughs> Belshazzar calls in verse 7 of chapter 5, we've already read it, he is losing his mind, and he calls aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Okay? Those three. Now, all of a sudden, and, and I'm jumping ahead in our text, so we'll come back, and we'll, don't, don't worry, you're not going to lose this. We're going we're to keep rolling through it. But uh, the queen mother... This would be Belshazzar's mother. Hearing all of this hubbub and this noise that's taking place, you can imagine a thousand people that are really freaking out right now. Uh, they've excavated this hall of the palace of, of, of Babylon, the, the, the king's palace, and it was, it was about 55 feet wide by 170 feet long. That can house a lot of folks. And in that room, all of these people had gathered. And to see the handwriting and the fingers, it's not a hand. How many of you have seen a hand? It's just fingers. Read the text. Just literally, you have fingers that are writing on the wall, and I believe it was right above Belshazzar's head. Because they would have indented or or moved that wall into where the throne could be set up, and the place where the lampstand was, what it speaks of, would be the brightest light. That's exactly where it's described, that the fingers are writing those words, above his head. That will get your attention. And all of a sudden, again, we'll come back and go over this, but all of a sudden, he wants answers. Doesn't seem they wanted any answers before they began in this debauchery, but now he wants answers. Amazing, isn't it? And he's looking again to the wrong place. We talked about it last week. If you want to go to the world to get answers, you will get the wrong answers. Men's wisdom or the world's wisdom is nothing more than foolishness to God. That's the way it works. That's not my words. That's what God says. And he brings in those three guys. Now, who were they again? Just just review them. They were the soothsayers, the astrologers, and the Chaldeans. These are kind of the heavy hitters. Now, and of you that have been with our journey through Daniel, you know that that's about the third time. This is strike three, right? But they left somebody out. Yeah, they left Daniel out. And another mention of a group of people which the queen mother comes in. Let's, let's, let's view what she says, or, or let's listen, and let's reiterate it. Verse 10, chapter 5. Uh, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. In other words, you're all upset right now, but just relax, would you? Just, 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 just relax, because I know the perfect solution to all of this, and his name is Daniel. And every time Daniel shows up, guess what? Things get sorted out, uh, impossible interpretations take place, and it gets better. So this will be good. Boy, was she wrong. There was a lot of things that got straightened out, but it got worse before it. Yeah, well, anyway, let's keep going. Uh, Verse 11, there's a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Who the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master or chief of the magicians or magi. You see, he never mentioned those before. Magi, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Did you see that? He had not called the magi. Now, when we see magician, what do you think of? Someone that's got a slighter, faster hand than you have eyes to see what he's done, correct? That is not the idea. The Magi would be those that are, they were very, very skilled in the sense of education. They were like at the top of the status lever for intelligence. They were really, really well thought people, okay? Now, did you see what that was just, did you see what that just said? Daniel was the chief of the Magi. Now, I want to go back and see, she did not hear incorrectly. Go back, hold your place here. Go back to Daniel chapter 4. And I think it's verse, just a second. I think it's verse 9. Yeah, here it is. Now, this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar 23 years, well, actually 30 years previous. And he says to Belteshazzar, or Daniel, verse 9, chapter 4. Oh, Belteshazzar, master of the magicians or magi. That is so interesting to me because who was it that came to see Jesus about 600 years later? Were the Magi, of which Daniel was their chief. He was the one that literally would have trained them. Can you imagine having a session going to Magi school and there, who's your leader? Daniel. How do, how do you think? Because here's a question. Just think of this now. The Magi or those, do you want me to call them Magi? I'm going to. It doesn't matter. I was going to see if you want to call wise men or Magi or king, They're not kings. I'm not going to call them wise men, so you have to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to call them Magi. Okay? How would it that they came from 900 miles away when Jesus Christ was born? And you say, they saw a star in the east. In fact, let's now let's motivate to, to Matthew chapter 2 for a moment. Matthew chapter 2, let's watch this, Matthew chapter 2, and we'll start reading again, a very, very familiar passage we've read a number of times in the last couple of weeks, so Matthew chapter 2, and verse 1, Matthew 2, 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men, or magi, from the east to Jerusalem, and, and that is about a 900-mile trip. I'm going to again say this. Why would wise men of the tribe or of the lineage of the Magi see a... Now, let's, let's, let's look at it. The next verse says, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? This is, they're in Jerusalem. Where is the king of the Jews? For we have, now watch this, seen his star... In the east. And are come to worship him. What would make you do that? You're a Gentile. You're 900 miles away. He's not the king of the Middle East. He's the king of the Jews. Why would you go? Because of Daniel. And you think that you're not here for a particular purpose in the year 2020. Just think of Daniel. Now, if he at 13, 14, 15 years of age in 605 B.C. when was snatched, ripped out as a hostage, taken to Babylon, and if somebody said, oh, it'll be for the good, because when the Messiah comes, you will have trained and taught the Old Testament scriptures to a group of people called the Magi that they will literally come and be the... Oh, listen now carefully. This is the only coronation, the only anointing, the only kinged time that Jesus ever had on this earth was from those... People called the Magi. He was not crowned by the Jews. The closest he got was Pilate put a, a sign on the cross that said King of the Jews, which they hated that. To think of that, he was coronated or crowned king by Gentiles that lived 900 miles away that were literally trained by Daniel. That, my friends, is really exhilarating. No matter what happens in your world, in your life, how depressing it may be for a day or two. Somewhere God has you exactly where he wants you to accomplish something that you have no idea what it could be in the grand scheme of things. That's just a small part of what Daniel did. Now you still say, how did they know? I mean, so, so I, and I think it was the kind of glory. I don't think it was necessarily a star. Uh, we'll go into, I don't know if I have time to go into it exactly, but there's this star and it's his star. It's him. Do you, you mind if we do this? Let's go to, let's go to matthew chapter twenty four because it's the same I believe it's the same showing at his second coming as it was at his first uh, verse twenty nine of matthew chapter twenty four Jesus is is responding to the disciples' questions about when the second coming will come when will this happen? in fact, they asked several questions. they asked when the, when the temple would be destroyed, but he answered that one and then he answered. His coming, the signs of his coming. Verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24. Are you all there? Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now that's going to be a trying time. That's at the very end of the tribulation. That is going to freak people out. It's almost like a twilight. We looked at that a couple of years years ago, a couple of weeks ago. I'm sorry. You guys felt it was a couple of years that we've been engaged in this. But literally, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it from a different angle. But Now watch verse 30. And then, at the end of the tribulation, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. I believe that's the same Shekinah glory that was literally given to the wise men and also to the shepherds. And those that were in Bethlehem when he was born. The Shekinah glory. Remember, that was what God literally led the Israelites with through a pillar of cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. That's a glory that surrounds him. And in his second coming, it will be the same thing. Now, they would have saw this, but now how many think that that star, his star, we'll just call it his star because that's what the Bible calls it. Did the wise men follow that all the way into Jerusalem? And you look like I'm tricking you. I can tell. <laughs> just don't answer. That's okay. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Well, why did they go to Jerusalem? Because Daniel would have told him that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and this is where the king of the Jews would literally be the king of the Jews. So why wouldn't you see the Star of the East, which, oh, how did they know what time that would happen? Why would you not see, that might just be a UFO? <laughs> I know that, but it sounded good, didn't it? <laughs> It sounded so good, right? I, I almost had some of them sold, but we don't understand. We don't know. Well, one of parts of it, the, they did study the stars. I want to be very careful. The Magi felt that the source and the, and the massiveness, I can't get all of it. They, they were very religious people. They believed in one God, but it wasn't necessarily Jehovah God or Yahweh. Now, Daniel, I'm convinced, transposed or would have gotten some of them to go and see the God of the Old Testament much more clearly. Now, What we haven't gotten to yet in Daniel, I can't go there right now, is in chapter 9 of Daniel, literally God gave him a vision for the unfolding of when the Messiah would come and the time frame. In fact, it would be 69 weeks of 7 after they were asked to return under Artaxerxes. And so literally these guys, they're doing the math and they're saying, there's a brand new star or a new light that we've never seen before. And this is the time, so let's go to Jerusalem. It literally is just like is that not and that is a crowning of of, of the of the Christmas story. I'm gonna tell you something. That just brings a, a wonder to me to see these coming to crown the king of the Jews, which no one else recognized as being that. John one twelve says, They came he came onto his own and his own received him not. But unto them that did receive him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. John 1, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Isn't that amazing? All because of Daniel. Because of Daniel. And the same three people we talked just really briefly. I I apologize for you that were here Christmas Eve. But it's amazing the three companies in which the people are divided on that same time frame are the same they are today. Uh, we'll find that Herod was the king. At least he was made that position from Rome. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him today. Uh, he had no authority to be the king. Now, let's watch this as it develops. See, come into Jerusalem, which would be the capital. Um, they don't really know where this king of the Jews is. That's why you stop in Jerusalem. That's the capital. They've got, everybody knows where the king of the Jews is because they're thinking, wait a minute, if we just stop here, we could just ask at a gas station. And they'll know exactly where the king of the Jews is. Because this is Israel. This is where they live. This is where the king would be. And, right? Verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Again, I don't think there was three guys that rode in. I think it was a massive entourage. Think of How much stuff would you take, ladies, if you had to go 900 miles by camel or by donkey? I'm talking, the guys are, oh my goodness, I can't imagine. (laughs) Because it would have taken months. It would have taken months. And that's the other thing we know of. I believe that that star of the east that appeared in the east, the star of Jesus that appeared in the east to those magi, was the night he was born. And then it took them at least a few months, maybe several months, to get to Jerusalem. Now let's keep watching. Herod's freaking out and this is a large entourage. I'm convinced because all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. They drive in, I mean, can you imagine this coming into the city of Jerusalem? Where's the king of the Jews? That'll mess with you if you're not supposed to be the king. In fact, he actually afforded the sense of Jesus being a king by by what he wanted to do. Verse 4, when he, King Herod had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, and that shall rule my people Israel. Oh, well, we just know that right off the top of our head. No problem. Everybody knows that. Of course we do. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. That's to be used for future reference. Oh, by the way, sirs, When did you see the star in the east? Well, now I'm going to say that it's not what their answer was is less than two years. I just know how much of a suspicious freak that Herod was. It probably was only a year. But he being Herod, the one that kills everybody that's even thought to be in his way, made sure if he added another year to it that he'd get them all. He's making it. What would you call that person? Now, how many Herods are there in the world today? Uh, of that despicable or that much of a despot? Probably not a lot, but nonetheless, what would you say that he did? He would existed or resented the king of the Jews. And there are people today that live in this world that resist or resent God. There's more and more in America all the time. It's amazing when you look at the comments coming back from something that's, that's beautiful in the sense of how God is working in a miraculous way. There's always got to be one, at least one comment that says, You idiots that believe in the Bible. Right? That's a resistance or a hatred towards God. Okay, Very clear, they take a pathway that's absolutely very distinct. Herod was much the same way. He was fearful because of the position and the power that he would lose. And again, do you know how old Herod is right now? He's one year away from dying. He's old. Now, Jesus is how old? He's just asked the wise men, the magi. Give him the benefit of the doubt that he's two. What difference would it make to Herod? Because he's evil, and he resents everything of God. Okay. Now, the second group, which is among us as well, is those that know but don't care. <laughs> They're indifferent. They're ign- they just totally ignore the situation. They have no interest whatsoever in Jesus Christ, none whatsoever, even though they should have a great deal of interest. Uh, we don't need him. We don't need a savior. Has America got that going on right now? We don't need a savior. They don't even know they need a savior, right? That's so true, isn't it? So you have those that resist and those that ignore. And then you have those that are 900 miles away, bring this entourage, take several months to get there. And they say, where is the king of the Jews? Because we want to worship him. <laughs> Whoa. That's the three groups today. Resist, ignore, or worship. Which one are we on? Isn't it amazing how relevant the Bible is? It's amazing how relevant it is. But let's watch this carefully now. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem, which is five miles away. And, I'm sorry, and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Why wouldn't he go with them? Well, I might take time that he didn't have to give to anything like of that nature. I just hate him. I, do, I don't really have time to mess with that. When they had heard the king, they departed. Okay, now think of that. Where did they go? There's been some questions even in our little group people have asked. Where did these wise men go? Where did they find Where did they find Jesus? Well, it's obvious that Herod said to go to Bethlehem, which is 5 miles south of Jerusalem. Plus you know, it's 5 miles south plus you know, whichever direction, whatever. 5 miles south of Bethlehem. Now watch this happen. This is really cool. This tells us some things about the star. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I mean, they step out of the building, and Herod says, go to Bethlehem, because that's what Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, according to my leading religious gurus. And they said, okay, that's over there. And they get outside and boom, the lights of the star, the Shekinah glory shows up and they are unbelievable. Thank you, God. And they follow it and literally it puts them right over the top of where Jesus Christ is, which is in Bethlehem. Now, let's watch this. Watch the terms that are called. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Verse 10. And when they were come into the manger, when they were came into the cave. The house. I'm sure that Joseph, being the fine father that he was, would have immediately upon his first opportunity would have taken Mary, the young child, and got them inside a better facility than a manger or a cave or a stable. And he put them in a house. Which again, this would be sometime after. This is not immediately. And they find this Jesus in this house. And the Shekinah glory, this star led them right to it. Now watch. When they were come into the house, they saw the young mother with Mary, his mother. They saw the young child. Is that what I I didn't say that right? Did I? They saw the young child with Mary, his mother and fell down and worshipped Mary. No. No. And I said that for a reason. Let's see what it says. They fell down and worshipped him and him alone. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very, very rapidly. Now let's talk about those three gifts. Why would you bring those three gifts? What's gold for? Gold is for a king. You find that uh, I mean, it's amazing. The Old Testament. Look at at Solomon, man. Gold was what grew on trees with him, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's precious. It's valuable, and it was kingly. It truly was the gift for a king. How about frankincense? What do you know about that? Or incense. We could just call it incense. It's Frank's incense. No, it wasn't. But frankincense is an incense. And to who? This is really key now. It's priestly because the priests are burning it to whom? To To God only. Let's look at a couple of passages. This is really important because this is incense to God. In other words, this Jesus Christ, this king of the Jews is also God. Let's go back to, let's look at a couple of them real quickly. Um, let me, quickly, 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 where do I put it? Uh, Exodus chapter 30. Turn back to Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 34. These are direct instructions that God gave to Moses in regards to incense. Verse 34. The Lord said unto Moses, take unto thee sweet spices, stacte, anachah, and galbium, and these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of apothecary, tempered together pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it very small, put it on the testimony of the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee, and it shall be unto you most holy." And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall make not to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be only unto thee holy for the Lord. You will always find incense only is given to the Lord. Okay. So now think of this. So we've got, we've got gold for the king, Jesus. We've got the frankincense, which is for God. That's a strong statement. All of those, all of those receiving that, and I'm saying Mary and Joseph... Those that were even told of it, it's not as much to us. When's the last time you got a gift of frankincense? Did you get a gift of frankincense, Paul, in this, this Christmas? No. Well, that means you smell good. You didn't need it. That's the bottom line. But secondary, but sec, but secondarily, incense, we don't know that much about. But literally, in the Old Testament, as you would unfold this, they would have known that frankincense is only and lowly for God and God alone. Think of what that message is. Okay? Now, thirdly, we have myrrh. What do you know about myrrh? What is myrrh for? It has a number, of, a number of things, but one thing is absolutely every single time, if you were a Jew and an Israelite, you would have had myrrh used in embalming. So it would be literally as Jesus, the creator, the son of God, the pure, holy one, enters this humanity, which is pretty smelly stuff, isn't it? Corruption. Yeah, we could go on, couldn't we? It's, it's actually, it would pale us the depth and stench that it must come from a holy, righteous God. And at his burial, after he gave everything as pure, perfect, red blood, of which one drop, one drop would have done it, in the embalming process, myrrh was used. Because it shows him as the man. You have gold for him as a king. You have frankincense for him as God and myrrh for him as a suffering man. That's amazing gifts. Now, the other thing that's interesting is the timing of this taking place. Now, if we go to Luke chapter 2, there seems to be almost a, a contrast in how this unfolds. But let's, first of all, tell me what Matthew... Why do, There's four Gospels written with different purposes, all talking about Jesus Christ in relationships a little bit differently. One, Matthew is written to the Jew. He's written to the Jew in mind that literally he wants to show... The, what should I say? The right to Jesus Christ fitting the kingly line. It comes through his stepfather, Joseph, right? Came from the line of David, which that's what it said Messiah would come through the line of Judah. And you come through that, that gives him the right to the throne. In Luke chapter 1, it talks about from Mary's side, which also comes from the line of David, which would show the right to the blood, the right blood. So you have the right line, the right blood, all to royalty, But Matthew was more significant even than that. He wanted to see that Jesus was worthy of being the king of the Jews. He's the only one of the four gospels that include the Magi, because they are the only ones that literally coronated him as king from a Gentile perspective. Amazing what he has done there. So that is, it's a snippet that's just in Matthew, because let's go to Luke for a moment and let's watch something. Luke chapter 2, and you're going to say, we're never going to get back to Daniel. Well, eventually, Luke chapter 2, and this is, after, this is a portion of the scripture we usually don't read. Uh, we usually end it in verse 20 of chapter 2 of Luke. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. And then verse 21. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. Now, why was that? Why did, why did, why did they call him Jesus? Just, it was in the, it was a was in the name book, and, the, and Joseph said, that's kind of cool. It's got a J, and let's just go with that. No, because the angel Gabriel had told him, name him Jesus because he is the Savior of mankind. Okay? So he names him Jesus, which was so named of the angel before, she, before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Okay, now let's keep going. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Okay? It's interesting they say that. Now, normally a lamb would be what would be purchased or given. Now, it speaks to... The sense they were poor right here. That was before the Magi showed up. Because I'm going to tell you, they didn't just give Jesus a gold ring. It was significance. Those gifts were of significance. In fact, I'm convinced that it would have changed the wealth of that family overnight. They didn't drive 900 miles or, or camel 900 miles to get there and just give him a ring. and a little, This was serious. This was the real deal. But this shows us, obviously, 40 days out, they would have come from Bethlehem, went to Jerusalem for the purification. No wise men yet. Now, this is where it gets tricky. If you read, you'll find that uh, there's two older, Simeon and Anna, prophesy before him. And then it ends in verse 38, same chapter. She coming in that instant, this is Anna, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Verse 39. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover when he was 12. There's a whole lot of time that just goes flying by in three or four verses. And you're saying, wait a minute, now that's kind of messy. That's kind of messy. Well, there's a significant event that also is left out of the Luke passage. Luke is not interested necessarily in showing... The Magi. There's no purpose for him. Matthew has a tremendous purpose because he wants to show Jesus being worthy of kingship. The Messiahship. Christos, the anointed one. The worthy one of being king. Now there's another trip that Jesus took. That would have to come from Bethlehem rather than from Nazareth. We'll find it back in Matthew chapter 2. Because this gives another reason that the wise men, the Magi, found him in Bethlehem. Now, let's watch uh, verse 12 of chapter 2 of Matthew. We just left them giving gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Found him in this house. Verse 12, they were being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. Now, what you read in in Luke, there's people that believe that they had to find Jesus in Nazareth. Wrong. Because let's think about this for a moment. Uh, Laramie, you don't have a... Picture of the land of Israel with Nazareth and Bethlehem on it? I didn't ask you. I mean, you shouldn't have it, but he's amazing, though. So (laughs) let's see if it happens. But for for you right now, just think of this. I'm going to draw you a little map. So you have Jerusalem, boink, right there. And five miles south of it is Bethlehem, boink, right there. Nazareth is about 90 miles north here. So now let's think about this. If they followed a star to Nazareth, look at that. He is so cool. Isn't that great? That is quick, no? Okay, now I've got to find my little laser thing, which I'm sure I've lost it, so I won't. But this will, okay, if you look, you see Bethlehem here. You see Nazareth way up there. Now it says, read the, let's read it again now. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. If they were in Nazareth, why in heaven's name would they come to Jerusalem if their home was over here? Because they weren't in Nazareth. They were in Bethlehem. So they're told to go another way around, so don't go to Herod. Okay? Interesting. Now, there's something that happens for Jesus and his parents right now, too. Because in the same dream, on apparently really the same night, verse 13, when they were departed, the wise men, the Magi, were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Okay? Again, why would you go to Egypt if you were in Nazareth? You wouldn't. You would go from Bethlehem to Egypt. And by the way, which town did Herod pick as killing everyone that was two years older or younger? Bethlehem. So I think it's really clear that the wise men ultimately found Jesus some months later in Bethlehem because the star reappeared to them in Jerusalem and took them right to his house in Bethlehem. Now, after that was all over, which I didn't—I think I told you this, but Herod died within a year of after them going to Egypt. And then they returned, and where did they go then? To Nazareth. They went back home. Because once you're moving from Egypt, then go home. But you would have known what Joseph would have done for a young mother and a young child. Stay put. I'm sure she encouraged him along that thought process as well. Okay. Any questions? Uh, Oh, I want to show you one other thing. And then we're going to go back to Daniel. Um, Now, think of the three gifts once again. You have gold for king, frankincense for God, myrrh for the human side, or I'm just going to leave it that way, for the man side of Jesus. Okay? Now, we know that he's coming back the second time. We'll find an, a, a situation of that. Turn to Isaiah chapter 60 for a moment. Isaiah chapter 60. And I want you to watch what's missing. It makes great sense. Uh, Isaiah chapter 60. And we're just going to dive in here. I understand we should start in verse 1. But I'm going to go to verse 6. Actually, we could do to verse 2. Verse 2. Oh, let's just start verse 1. Just like we should do it. Okay. Arise and shine... For thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. This, again, I think is a picture of Shekinah glory. The very same thing that we're seeing. First coming, it will be there. The second coming, verse 2. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Remember Matthew chapter 24? And the gross darkness of people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Now go down to verse 6. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of the Midian and Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. Oh, no, there's no myrrh there. They don't need it. Who do you got coming? You got Jesus Christ, the King, the Son of God, the very God. No need. He was crucified once. This next time he's coming, he's coming in power and victory. There is nothing held back. Nothing held back. Amazing. Okay, that was a little bit of a... I just, I just couldn't hardly stand not showing you that Daniel <laughs> was influential in the coronation of Jesus Christ... When he was born on earth. That is fantastic. And again, just to me, the message is we take a step back and we say, how about you in this room? How about you that are in the in, in listening range of my voice? God is using you for things you'll have no idea how it will be. that You couldn't possibly imagine. Do you think Daniel got that? It would have been the last thing in his mind. And yet, how, how important is it? Monstrous. Monstrous. Let's go back to Daniel now. And let's start diving into chapter 5. Uh-oh. chapter 5 the scene if you will chapter 5 verse 1 Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand Belshazzar while he tasted the wine commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes his wives and the concubines might drink therein then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, drank in them. They drank wine, praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of, and of stone. If you really want to tick God off, that's a good way to do it. That's a really good way to do it. You want to really get it done. You want to, you want to find that sensitive spot in God. You want to find, That'll get it done. First of all, you get drunk. Then you got a thousand plus people that literally, oh, Belshazzar's. Well, let's bring in those, uh, that stuffed dad, uh, granddad. I think it was his grandfather. Too. We'll talk about that in a moment. But bring all that stuff they ripped out of the Jerusalem deal because uh, you know our gods were tougher than their gods. And let's just show them now. It was literally a blasphemous act at the very core. It was such an orgy of evil ramifications. I can't even describe for you all the things that were taking place in this. Right? This is craziness what's taking place in these hours. It had to be contemptible before God. And sometimes we wonder, well, why didn't they cut Belshazzar a this life? Because literally, from the first of this chapter to the end of it is probably no more than a few hours. And he's dead at the end of this chapter. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was given this a full year, plus seven more years to act like a cow to get it figured out who he really should be. Right? Belshazzar gets a few hours. I'm going to tell you why. We said it before. When truth is given, there is responsibility that goes with it. Trust me. Belshazzar was probably about 35 or 36 right here in chapter 5. Let's work that back 23 years. He would have been 13 when his grandfather, I believe it was his grandfather, we'll talk about that in a moment, Grandfather Nebuchadnezzar is in the backyard eating grass. Where's grandfather? Where's where's grandpa? I was going to play. Well, you know where he's at. He's in the yard eating grass (laughs) for seven years. He would have been 20 years of age, this young man Belshazzar, when Nebuchadnezzar came to himself looked up to God and said, you alone are the supreme, sovereign God that gives and takes kingdoms and you alone should be worshipped. He knew that. He saw that. Didn't make any difference. Or it didn't, right? How much time would have made it better for him? None. None. He is really putting it on God. God at this point. I'd like to go to, hold your place right here. Let's go to Psalm for just a moment. Psalm chapter 9, verse 17. Psalm 9, verse 17. This is a fact. Chapter 9 and verse 17. The wicked, this is Psalm 9, 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I feel pinned to the wall right now because if there was something that I could say about the United States of America today, it would be we as a nation have forgotten God, period. We're going to look at the same things that literally Belshazzar and Babylon at this late hour in that kingdom, which is literally going to be under demise on that very night. There is at least 10 to 12 similarities that a United States and Babylon on exactly the same page. We have forgotten God. That's not up for question. It's real. It's real. Scripture's clear. Seventy years have taken place since chapter one. Daniel is not a youngster anymore. He's no longer a teenager. He's an 80-plus-year-old. And yet you see... He's been consistent. He continues to walk with God. In 562 BC, Nebuchadnezzar died. Um, we're at 539 BC right now. If you're keeping, I should write a few notes down for you for you visually minded ones. 539 BC. In fact, history will tell us it was actually either October, I'm going to go with October 12th. say, wow, you're really being specific. Well, that night, historians say that was when the Medes and the Persians literally conquered and vanquished Babylon for good. On this very day is the day this is taking place. What happened after Nebuchadnezzar died? He died in 562 B.C. Well, he had a son that he reigned for two years. And then he was assassinated by his brother-in-law. And then this brother-in-law, he reigned for four years, and he died. And his son took over for nine months. And he was killed by a conspiracy group. One of the co conspirators was a man by the name of Nabonidus. Nabonidus. Larry, I'm writing downhill again, aren't I? I don't know what my problem is, but it's going to have to work. Nabonidus. Nabonidus had no right to the throne ultimately, so he's being a little bit clever. So what does he do? He marries what I believe is the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar who has a son whose name is Belshazzar. And you notice in how we read that, that whoever was going to be able to tell this writing on the wall that's above my head, that you would be the third ruler. Why is that? Well, because Nabonidus is co regioning with Belshazzar. Nabonidus, let's, let's make sure we understand the context of how debaucherous and how stupid this particular drunken orgy is. On previously in the year by a few months, Nabonidus, who actually had a, a castle or not a, a palace out in the Arabian desert at a, at a little a town called Tem, T-E-M, he never went to Babylon very much at all, Nabonidus. I don't know why, but he didn't. Belshazzar, that's where he hung out, and that's where the queen mother, his mother, who was married to Nabonidus, Okay, that's where, they, that's where they chilled. Well, Nabonidus got in a great big war with Cyrus the Med Cyrus the Mede. Wiped him out, Nabonidus. He's gone. These are events that are in the past. Now we have Belshazzar with the entire Mede and Persian army surrounding the Babylon city. He's having a party. Because they thought they were invincible. They thought that nothing could happen to Babylon. For heaven's sakes, we've got walls that are 87 feet thick, 350 feet high. It's 15 miles square. We have the Euphrates River running right through it. We have fertile lands within us. We are invincible for at least 20 years. Mark that carefully. On that very day, this day, they have been surrounded for a period of months by the Medes and Persians. And they're making fun of God. We don't need you. See, that sounds so like America today. We don't need God. We're okay. We don't need God. We're okay. Uh, They should maybe read chapter 5. Change the names and places. Right? Uh, I'm just going to... And you're wondering, what what happened? I mean, mean, we're talking impregnable force. That's what Belshazzar thought. I'm going to go ahead and give you the rest of the story right away. The general... His name was Darius of this entourage that's surrounding the city of Babylon. He says, I got an idea. Maybe it was a joint, maybe it was a committee idea, but he ultimately was responsible. He said, you know what, if we could divert the river, at least for a period of time, where we could slip underneath those dirty, rotten brass gates that are so amazingly seclusive, then we would be in. And he did. On that very night, when this event happened, the entire army went right underneath those gates and conquered the city. And Belshazzar was killed. Just like that. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? And what remember we read early on in, in, in Daniel that God gave the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar. God gave this opportunity to Belshazzar. God gave Belshazzar the opportunity to see who God really was and to watch his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, literally go turn in from a bovine back into a human. And it didn't matter. Damn. Whoa. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. I'm going to try to hurry, and you know that's impossible for me, but we'll do our best. As he challenged God, and I have to say, if you read those first four verses, there's no other way to do that, to come up with challenging God. The drunkenness, the sexual activities, the atrocities, the things that are taking place here are beyond the pale. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, verse 5, in the same hour came four fingers of a man's hand. Notice again, fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. (laughs) You know, you may be drunk, but not that drunk to not. I mean, this is all of a sudden there's fingers writing something on the wall above your head. Now, this guy that excavated Babylon, you know, plaster. Like that's a little early to have plaster, right? Would you believe that when he excavated this, they found that the walls were of plaster? Isn't it amazing how God's word is so true all the time? Every time. Let's watch what happens to to, uh, Belshazzar. Then, verse 6, the king's countenance was changed. I'll bet it was. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed. Have you ever heard the joints of your loins loosed? (laughs) It ain't pretty. (laughs) When the joints of your loins are loosed, you are in trouble. He couldn't even get up. He couldn't stand. It was just, and his knees were shaking. Actually, you wouldn't believe this, but when I was in high school and I gave a speech, my knees would shake. (laughs) He was troubled. And you know what? I believe he was troubled. I think he knew something was up. When you see fingers writing something on the wall, in fact, it's amazing how many people that have never read the Bible, don't know anything about Daniel, don't know anything about Belshazzar, don't know anything about anything, they'll say, oh, the handwriting's on the wall. (laughs) that's where that came from because i'm going to tell you what when the handwriting's on the wall you have had it you've had it well first thing you got to do is get some answers now he's interested in the truth he wants to know what's really going on here fear has taken place verse seven the king the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers the chaldeans the soothsayers. we've kind of already talked about that he left one group out the king spake, said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever should read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be called the scarlet, have a gold, chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Yada, yada, yada. Then came all of the king's wise men. They could not read the writing, which n- nor make known to the king the interpretation. Now, that to me is odd. I don't understand why they couldn't read it, because it was been written in Aramaic. How many of you read Ar- Aramaic this week? Excellent. Just like me. I'm not very fluent in it either. But they tell me that it runs from right to left. Okay and also you have to fill in the vowels yourself only the consonants are written so to me that would be a real sketchy deal but it's something they would be used to why would they not be able to capture that i have no idea unless they were too drunk i don't know but it was amazing how quickly people sobered up did you see that boom there is a god <laughs> it didn't take long it's going to be the same. by the way it's going to be the, actually, exactly the same way when babylon the Babylon in the future Revelation chapter 17 and 18, you read that one. I'm going to let you read that. That's that's your homework for this week. Revelation 17 and 18. You know what? There is a boom, drop the hammer. It's over right now, the same way as it was on this day with Babylon of ancient. So they can't, they don't know what it is. They can't read it. They can't interpret it, obviously. And so once again, strike three, if you've been keeping track of these losers, um, they have struck out once again. Now, all of a sudden, by reason of the noise i'm sure the words of the king it says in this lord's verse 10 came into the banquet house the mother queen that would be belshazzar's mother she hadn't been part of any of this for obvious reasons and oh king live forever i don't know why you say that because he wasn't going to live very long you notice you'll you'll find that daniel did not say that he did not say that but he she did what he did yes he did He, he respected king nebuchadnezzar really did this guy's a loser I'm sorry. I, I just you can just see it. And you know what? You know why do you know why Daniel really did not respect Belshazzar? Because Belshazzar had been given multiple opportunities to get this right. How could you look at your grandfather for seven years and watch him come out of that and literally praise and exalt God and say, He alone, and he alone is the God to praise. And you don't get that. Oh, right? Well, anyway, here comes the Queen Mother. She's trying to settle down her little junior. She says, Oh, king, live forever, let thy thoughts. Not trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of thy father, light... Oh, now you're saying... Why does it keep saying father, not grandfather? Well, the Hebrew concept of grandfather is you can't... There's no word for, for grandfather in the Hebrew. It, you'd have to say father's father, so it's easier, actually, to say father. With, that could be a great-grandfather. But you do that, and you just inspect the, the... And everybody that would have read this early on would have known exactly who Belshazzar was in regards to that. But more than likely, again, I would have to say probably grandfather. Here we go. Uh, Your father made master of magicians, the master of the magi, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, for as much as an excellent spirit of knowledge, and understanding, and interpretation of dreams, and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. Now it's interesting. Daniel did not hang out with these guys, did he? Did you notice that? In every case that they've brought in these wise guys, who was not with them initially? Daniel. Nothing to hang out for, right? Got the wrong reasoning. Got the wrong methods. Got the wrong stuff. Here he comes. He's been called and summoned. I'm sure he didn't even want to come. And Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spoke. He said to Daniel. Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee. I bet he has. <laughs> it's amazing how things are coming to light right now. That the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. Now, the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, but that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretation to dissolve doubts. Now, if you can read the writing, make known to me an interpretation of it. You shall be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel said, you can stuff your stuff. No, he doesn't say that. He says it differently. He's a lot not nicer. He says, let thy gifts be to thyself, give thy rewards to another. And it's just about the same thing. You can keep your stuff. Because literally within about three hours, dude, you ain't going to have a kingdom. There's nothing here. But he says, yet I will read the writing to the king and make known him the interpretation. This is free of charge. You're going to get this free of charge, buddy. Verse 18. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. You see how he's reiterating this? And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, Who he would, slew, whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride. He was deposed from kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts. His dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And then watch verse 22. He accuses him of him. He indicts him on three counts. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thy heart, though thou knewest. All of this. He literally had sinned against knowledge. He knew what Nebuchadnezzar had went through, and he, Belshazzar, did not humble his own heart. He knew the truth, but turned from it. Now, that sounds familiar. Remember which chapter we always read in in regards to to America? Romans chapter 1. They resisted and turned away from the truth. And let's watch with the next thing. Verse 23. But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them and have praised the gods of silver, gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, hear not, know not, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. Literally the second indictment was the fact that he had blasphemed God and desecrated the vessels. When we know the truth and turn from it, literally, we blaspheme the God of truth. That's exactly what Romans says as well. That's what's happening in America. And then the last part of that, which was there, is literally turned to idolatry. Turn to idols. I think of some of the idols, well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. On three counts, Daniel is literally taking Belshazzar right to the ground and saying, These are the indictments of which you have failed before God. You've known the truth and not turned from it. Or, you have turned from it. Overarching pride in every single aspect of this. When you resist the truth, when you. Remember the three things we talked about, the, the magic? What were those? There's three three groups of people. There's those that resist. resist or resent God, and then there's those that ignore God, and then there's those that worship God. What do we have in Belshazzar? Probably resentment. Now, again, you're, if you try to... This is important. I did not say this before. If you're trying to figure out the difference between resentment and and ignoring God, don't bother. It's the same. Whoever's not for me is against me. That's what Jesus said. Don't try to make any distinctions because God doesn't. You're either for him or you're not, whether you hate him or you ignore him. It's the same results. That's scary, isn't it? You see, in our minds, we kind of have something of a grade. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Okay, let's keep going. Now he's going to reveal, verse 24, Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. In other words, those three things, king, you're guilty of, and then out of the blue comes the part of the hand. This is the writing. Well, there's three words there. Two of them are mene. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. It's probably different ways of saying it. Uh, Basically means numbered. Your days are up. Your number's up. You're done. Someone had taken this passage and said, Time's up, turkey. (laughs) numbered. God has numbered it. He's, the cup is full, if you will. And then tekel has to do with weighing. In, in other words, in, in, especially in this time frame, you would have a, uh, a scale and you would have a known weight and then you would weigh something against it. Okay. And the idea here is that he's, he's a lightweight. He's too light. He's too light morally. He's too light in a humility, he's too light in every way that has something to do with God. So you've been, your numbers are up, you've been weighing. and you're a lightweight. And then the last one is, Farsans means divided. Your kingdom is divided. And it's divided. If you remember that statue, or that, remember that, uh, that image, that golden image with the golden head? Guess what happens that from the golden head, which is tonight is going to change. It's going to go to the arms and the chest of the Medes and Persians. His kingdom will be divided tonight, this October 12th, 539 B.C., be given. I should say that too. God gave it to the Medes and Persians. They didn't earn it either. (laughs) And then he will give it to Alexander the Great. He didn't earn it either. Numbered, numbered, too light, divided. That's really what it means. And it was over just like that. It was over just like that. In fact, it goes on to say, of course, Belshazzar went ahead and clothed Daniel with a scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, made a proclamation, making him the third leader, which lasted about six minutes. And then it says, just, just matter of factly, verse 30, in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Over. Done. His life's done. There's nothing left. It's over. Gone. Isn't that sad? So sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. Oh, hundreds of chances. I mean, multitudes of chances. In fact, I should even say this. I, I didn't talk about this. The reason that there's no more of Nebuchadnezzar's heirs that are serving in the in the kingly line is because they were all killed. Because that's what happens when Nabonidus. I don't know. I don't know why he didn't take him out, other than he married his mother, and he took care of it. So maybe there was a connection. I don't know. But that's why all of all of all of um, Belshazzar's. Brothers, sisters, cousins, whatever in the royal line were killed because they didn't want anything to do with someone arising out of Nebuchadnezzar's line. He's fortunate to be alive. Watched his grandfather go through that ordeal. Just think of it, and see America. We have no excuses whatsoever. When we, if we even bother to read history, and at this time of year, I, I think of that battle. What was, what was that one where George Washington? They went across the river under the, under the fog. Yeah, what was the name of that battle? Valley Forge. Forge. And to think of what God really literally did for that man and his army that night. George Washington convinced that more time on his knees than standing upright. Because I'll tell you what. It's just like America right now. I think we have to go through hard things to do the right things. We're right there. We're not getting this right. We're not. We're not getting it. George Washington and his troops, they didn't have any food most of them didn't have shoes and under the dense fog god literally permitted them to move to a very formal position right around christmas time can you imagine crossing the delaware on christmas time on a normal winter those are men that died for us they gave everything because they believed in liberty and freedom more than their lives and today we don't even con- we don't even think about it and i'm saying we because i'm, I'm just like daniel he prayed for he prayed for his nation And he included himself. We need to do the same as Christians. We are guilty of negligence and sin that is unimaginable before our Savior. It really is true. We have no excuses whatsoever. God is not going to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not going to do that. Think of what God literally made out of America. The United States of America. Started with nothing, should have never won that war. We shouldn't have a chance. But you know what? They believed God, trusted him, and lived for him. Those things are amazing, aren't they? One of the things that really was in Babylon at the end, I, I unfolded those last, those years of waning things. It's very much the same in the United States of America today. Corrupt leadership. We have corrupt leadership at every single level. From judicial system, legislative, all the way through. It is sickening the corruption that is stagnating the United States of America in the sense of leadership. It's the same thing that happened in Babylon. It's, it's pathetic. Am I sounding too negative? I think it's time we wake up. Belshazzar should have woken up too. So should we as Americans. Let's start listing some other things that were absolutely commonplace to that very day on 539 B.C., October 12th. Drunkenness. Drunkenness in America is out of control. I can't think of one positive thing an alcohol has done for anybody in any place for any time. Cannot think of one thing. I've got people that are on my prayer list that cannot break the addiction of alcohol. I know so many men that worked for my father that could not break Alcoholic addiction. You know what it starts with? The first drink. It's horrible what drunkenness has done to this world, particularly the United States of America. We have tried to drown the problems in alcohol. Do you think it's any different in Babylon on that day and they got the the, the whole city surrounded? What better thing to get drunk? Then we don't have to think about it. Correct? I got a young man that I'm praying for. He and his wife were in desperate straits, trouble-wise. And one night, which still, you know how it is. God, is, God is, is wooing. He's calling. What was his solution one night? Larry, I'm embarrassed to say, I just, I just, I just went and got drunk. I said, and what did it solve? Absolutely nothing. Right? Drunkenness in America is out of control. The pleasure-seeking, that's another one. It's craziness at any level. That's what they were gathered for in this day. Babylon was safe, we're invincible, we're impregnable. we got a fortress that cannot be broken down. America surrounds itself with pleasures at any, every level, no matter what. And we think about how blessed we are in this nation, just thinking about our own, uh, how we, the, the, the meals that we've eaten in the last week. <laughs> Compare them to some of the people that you don't know that live in far-off countries. That would be more calories than they could have even possibly considered ever consuming within a year correct? We're blessed. We'll strive after pleasure. Pride is amazing in this nation today. We're above that. Our youngest generation think they're entitled to everything. Where does that come from? Because we think we're more important than we are. Do you, how important do you think Belshazzar thought the morning of October 12th? He was pretty stinking important. What makes us think that, that America can't collapse? God's going to have to make a lot of excuses about a lot of other kingdoms that he gave to. He gave America a chance for 200-plus years that has blessed, uh, not, let me get this right, America is still a wonderful place. We have a Constitution that was marvelously written beyond our, father, our founding father's intelligence. This was a God-given thing. You have to look at those articles that were written and that Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and you've got to say, God helped them. And you know why he helped them? Because they asked him to. Do you know what we're not doing today at a national level is asking God to help us? What if, what if uh, Speaker of the House Pelosi would actually enter in with a positive, real prayer saying, God help us? He would. But you got to mean business. We flaunt him. We don't need him. Am I getting over the top? This is the, this is the end of 2020, and I think we need to, we need to be challenged And not just us. I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know what? We need to be praying like this. We need to be praying for our nation because there's not a single reason I can come from reading chapter 5 of Daniel saying that we are on the cusp. Literally, God has had his fill of us. And he's worthy of saying that. Oh, God, help us. Help us. We don't know how far we've fallen. How do we? Idolatry. <clears throat> I heard in passing. I don't know who said it, even, but it just rang a bell. There are things now uh, that we can't take in a position against. It's almost like this statue. Remember, we, we read in chapter uh, chapter three, right? And here Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue that's ninety feet high, and everybody's got to bow down. You know what? There's there's several statues like that today. You that are your complete outcast. LGBTQ+. That's a statue, an idol that this nation has literally taken to. And if you t- stand against it, you're going to look like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up out of nowhere, and you will be taken to the woodshed, and hopefully they'll take your life. That's what's thought of. So be it for me. The word of God is p- straight, it's plain, it's clear. There's nothing, there's nothing to, to question here. Black lives matter. That's an insidious communist Marxist group that's standing for transgenderism. It needs to be held accountable. And yet it's like you can't say anything against it. Are you kidding me? Do you see, you see, how, do you see how real this stuff is? I could go on. I, I don't, I'm not trying to badger you. I'm just saying how far we've fallen. And when I read chapter 5 of Daniel and I get to the end and I say, why hasn't God acted? But I'm going to tell you something, there is a line drawn, and when we hit that line, it's over. Just like Revelation chapter, now that was your, remember that, I'm going to say it again, your homework is Revelation 17 and 18, because that Babylon that's in the future, which probably isn't that far in the future, it's going to end just like that, just like this one did. Literally, this ended in hours. God lays the judgment on the wall in that, in that well-lit portion with those fingers, just writing those three words Two of them twice. Your days are numbered. You've been measured. You've been weighted. You've been weighed, I'm sorry, and your kingdom's divided. And one of the things that bothers us, what can we do, right? I mean, that's what you... What can we do? What can we do? I tell you what. We serve sovereign, almighty, precious, wonderful, in charge, 100% all the time, God. And he gave the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar He gave the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. He gave the United States of America a republic that has impacted the world in a positive way. We need to pray to that God that justice and truth would rule and reign. Today. (laughs) I'm in a hurry, right? And it's amazing how God is not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. Never see him in a hurry ever. And that's good. we're, We're not very good at that. You know, it's really sickening when you walk into a waiting room. I get excited. Oh, good. That's what I want to do. I want to wait. (laughs) Shouldn't even call them that, should they? And yet, you know what? Some of the best lessons I've ever learned when I was in God's waiting room. Because usually part of that waiting room is there's hard things to go through. So it allows me to do the right thing. That's what America needs today is to do the right thing. If that takes hard things to do the right thing, I'm all over it. And we know this, that it's always the right time to do the right thing. Daniel was really good at that, wasn't he? I'm going to list a few more things, and then we're going to close, because I've taken you a long... Whew, it's been long, hasn't it? One of the things that's the most scary to me is willful rejection. <clears throat> Literally denying the Word of God, just as Belshazzar did. Uh, greed, selfish motives, just surrounding, just buying us, buying our people. Uh, materialism. Uh, listen to this one. Confidence in our own security. Isn't that so true? We feel so secure here, don't we, in America? Oh, nothing can happen to us and the one that continues to be at the root of all of these, every single, st- every single time when you analyze whatever it is, there is pride at the bottom of it all. Pride, pride, and God has something to say about pride. He hates it. <laughs> he doesn't tolerate, he hates it. Lying and pride. <sighs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us a situation where you finally had enough. It's not that we haven't been warned. Belshazzar was warned numbers of times. He was given plenty of opportunities, and those people that surrounded him that he had invited over for a party, most of those would have seen it as well. It wouldn't have been new. It wouldn't have been something that they were never acquainted with. Because, God, you've also said in 2 Peter chapter 3 that you would have all to come to repentance. Jesus Christ died for all. John the Baptist described Jesus upon seeing him before he even baptized. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. What a wild statement. Jesus Christ, the only one that could possibly do that. Thank you for, Father, we just amazed, are amazed at Daniel's servants to you his humbleness, and yet being aggressive for you all of the time in a quiet, humble way. I look at all of the things that you accomplished through him, not the least of which we talked about even today, the Magi, traveling 900 miles to be the only ones that literally crowned Jesus Christ, that's Emmanuel, God with us, as king. The Jews missed him. Herod hated him. Father, it's much the same today. Will we hate him, ignore him, or worship him? Father, I would just ask that you get a hold of the leaders of our nation, and regardless of their position of where they are, of their past, Jesus Christ can bust through all of that. There's not a sin that Jesus didn't die for. But, Father, may they come to their senses and get a grip on the fact of their guilt. The fact that they are sinners and the fact that they have resisted and resented God. All the while ignoring Him and His requests for them to be held accountable to Him. Father, from the upper levels of government to the very lowest grassroots, every single one of us need you. There's no one that does not need you. Father, may you tear down those walls of evil. May the sense of injustice and lying and corruption, may it all be torn down. May, it, may truth be, be seen for what it is, because ultimately liberty is free in truth. Father, may we stand firm for you. Father, I just pray for our nation. and I'm thinking of our military men and women that are on the front lines. Feeling much more than we do the danger and the expense of liberty. I'd ask that you'd hold them up, their families, give them a nudge of encouragement, surround them with your love. And Father, help us to do the right thing all the time. Father, this country's at a crossroads as we end the year 2020. There's no safer place to be than in your arms, looking in your face, asking, what shall we do for you? Thank you for what you're going to do, Father. We know that you give kingdoms and you take kingdoms. I would ask that you would give us the knowledge, the courage, the stamina, and the strength to do what we need to do to be your servants Patriots and Christians, in a crazy time. We know we can trust you, because the Bible says we can. You've loved us with a love that we can't describe. In Hebrews it says, you cannot lie. Which means our eternal life, that based in Jesus Christ, is secure. Without compromise, without any question of it leaving. Because he paid the price. You proved it by raising him from the dead. That's the same Jesus that, Father, may we preach it in our lives and our words throughout this week to all of those that we come in contact with. We praise your name, lift you up, thanking you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen.